the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thank you for joining us today for On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rhody Fisher. As a Christian mom for over 40 years and a teacher of the Bible in public schools for 25 years, Rhody will take you on a journey with some of her friends as they share their experiences and testimonies from their walk with Christ. You'll see that you are not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. Welcome to On the Road with Jesus. Now, here's your host, Rhody Fisher. Welcome to On the Road with Jesus. My name is Rhody Fisher, and I'm your host. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this day, and thank you for allowing us to be here. And we pray that you would prepare hearts and minds and eyes to see you today. Father, I pray that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you. I pray, Father, you say in your word that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by you. So we ask in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would order our steps today and our words and our thoughts. We give this time to you in Jesus' name. We also want to pray for... um, for Sean and and also Guy in the sound booth, as well as my guest, um, Christine and myself. So, Lord, we give it all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. I'm going to get right into um, Psalm 11. And so I'm reading out of the um, New King James, which I didn't bring, so I'm going to have to use my phone. Okay, here we go. And this is David again, um, still being attacked by the enemy, and he's asking the Lord for help just like we do when the enemy attacks or sometimes even not our enemies attack. But um, anyhow, let's start in Psalm 11. So it says here, "In, In the Lord I put my trust. How can I say to my soul, flee as a bird to the mount, to your mountain? You know, sometimes when we're um, in trouble, don't you want to just run? Drop everything and go. There's trouble over here. I just need to get out. Well, this is what he's saying. Flee as a bird to your mountain. Um, he's fleeing to the right place, to where God is. For look, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow on their string that they may secretly shoot at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold His eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Wow, that's 
pretty strong. God doesn't like the soul of those that want violence. And I'm thinking about all the violence that's going on today. Um, People are just doing it to create riots and um, be hateful to other people. Upon the wicked, Upon the wicked he rains coals, fire, and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. Yikes. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. His countenance upholds the upright. So there's a solid promise for us. He upholds us with his right hand. He loves us. Um, If you don't know the Lord today, today is the day of salvation for you. He's clearly pointing out the wicked and what they get and the righteous. And we are not righteous because of ourselves. We're only righteous because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. We can call ourselves righteous because of him. We are clothed with his righteousness once we accept the Lord. It's his righteousness that he sees on us. And that's what he will see in you if you don't know the Lord and you would like to accept him as your savior. I'm going to be saying the sinner's prayer at the end. I want you to hang in there with me. Um, and we'll, we'll show you how, what to do to accept Jesus as your Savior. And today would be a good day. Time is short. Jesus is coming back soon. And he's coming back for the, those that have made a commitment to him. So um, maybe we'll say the sinner's prayer now. <laughs> Time is so short. Okay. If that's you right now, um, I would love to lead you in the sinner's prayer asking Jesus into your heart, making him your Lord and Savior, because he died on the cross for everyone. And that you're everyone. Um, He died for our sins so that we wouldn't have to pay for our sins, you know, later on when we die. He's taken the sins upon himself. He died as the only Lamb of God, that could die for our sins. So if that's you and you'd like to say the sinner's prayer with me, um, just say these words. And there's no magic in these words. It's just you talking to the Lord and giving your heart to him. So um, here we go. Dear Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Lord, you know that I'm a sinner just like they were. I accept you into my heart, Lord. Cleanse my heart as white as snow. Forgive me of the things that I've done in the past, in the present, and in the future. Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I accept you as my Lord, my Savior. I will follow you for the rest of my life into eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. So if that was you, do call the station. Do go to my website. Leave me an email. I'll be happy to send you a Bible. I know that people have already done that, and I thank those that have. Um, But let me get to my special guests. Sorry, we took a detour there. (laughs) Um, I have a special guest here, um, came all the way from Texas. I met her here when she and her husband were, were living in California. We attended the same church for years. I didn't know that she was attending that church. Um, I thought that 
I actually thought they came after me, but they were at that church since she said 90, 96, and I think we went there at 2005, so like almost 10 years later. <laughs> so um, anyhow, I met her at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, and I think I met her husband first. Um, we were doing outreaches to the Muslims, and I think that was the ministry he was involved in at the time, a different one than ours. And so I'm going to think maybe 2004, 2005 is when we met. And welcome, Christine, <laughs> Carrie. Oh, I love seeing you. She came all the way from Texas. I'm so grateful. And she's staying with her family here that still live here. So welcome, Christine. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Oh, you're welcome. Um, so, Christine, I really would love it if you could... Share a little bit about your background so that the viewers would get to know you more. Okay. Well, um, I was the youngest of three children. Uh-huh. I was born into a, a non-believing home, um, though my dad always told me I was a Christian um, because we had a Christmas tree. Uh, th- that was his definition. Um, if, I, if I were to say now that he had a God, it would have been um, money at that time in our lives. He believed that Working hard, getting ahead, that was what was to be strived for. Um, and The American dream, right? Yeah. yeah okay. Very much so. Um, I was born in Canada. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, emigrated to the United States when I was three and a half. So it's not... Um, I had some medical problems that Canada, Canadian medica- medicine couldn't take care of. Okay. So the United States admitted me for medical treatment. Um, here in Southern California wow. at um, Shriners Hospitals and Children's Hospitals. So let me ask you, your your parents gave up their jobs and everything and came here, or they left their jobs and their house there to go back to? No, um, they sold everything to get here. Um, really? We, we didn't even have luggage when we got here. We got on a Greyhound bus in Canada and um, got on the bus and got off in Glendale. This was a one-way trip for them. It was a one-way trip. Um, wow. I mean, we got our green cards, um, so we had wow. no intention of going back. Wow, that's exciting. <laughs> that's, that is, un, I mean, that's unbelievable. But, okay, so here you were in, in, in California, and your little girl, and you're sick, and, and your parents so graciously did everything they could. They sold their house. They came here to get you well. Wow, that's, yeah. that's so, love of a parent. Yeah, and, and by the time I was eight or nine, I, nobody realized I was still sick. I mean, I was no longer sick enough that I needed constant care. Okay. And was discharged from the care of children's and Shriners, so. Wow, okay. So you never really go went to church. They put up a tree every year, and you got Christmas presents, right? Right. But that was their definition of being a Christian. Yeah, because we, we weren't anything else. Okay. And you never went to church? I think that I went to Sunday school a couple of times when I was very little. Uh-huh. Um, you know, the neighbors would invite us and things like that. And then a couple of times in high school, I went with my friends because sure. I was interested. Okay. So tell me what, what here you are not um, knowing who Jesus is, really, in, in, in a biblical sense. You're, you're, you've got this Christmas tree thing, and you are grateful for your presence every year. But... Tell me what takes you down this road to accepting Jesus as your Savior. Well, you know, it's kind of funny because even when I didn't know who God was, I felt his presence. Yeah. Um, as a young child, because of my health problems, and we were extremely poor, um, I was bullied a lot. 
So I always cried out to this God that I didn't know. I knew he existed. I felt he existed, but I didn't know him. So I was always going, help me. Um, Wow. So that's why I said in high school, I started trying to take along with friends to church. And, you know, the thing is, is when you don't know who God is, you'll go anywhere and listen to anything trying to find truth. And unfortunately, none of my friends' churches had the truth. So, um, okay. But you were searching, and here you are in high school searching. Yeah. But in college, um, I got involved with a gentleman. Um, he said he was going to marry me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were in a relationship for two years. And so I gave in to what I knew was right. And we had sex. And then he left. Yikes. Yeah. And I think I learned the hard way that once you've you've given a given it away, you can't take it back as easily. And so I felt used and abandoned and like I could never be innocent again. Mm -hmm. And so I turned to alcohol and tried to seek affection and attention from men Mm -hmm. and um, ended up 24, pregnant, alone. Wow. Um, (laughs) And then God intervened. And um, I I started hanging out with a friend of my sister's. Um, He was a a man named Joe. We had met when when I was 14. Okay, I'm going to stop you just a little bit. Okay, so you've got this little child. Well, I'm st- I'm pregnant. Oh, you're still pregnant. Okay. I'm still pregnant. And so where are you living then? Are you are you living are, do you have a job? Are you living on your own? I was living on my own at the time. I I'm a nurse by trade. Um but when I found out I was pregnant, I moved back in with my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, because I knew that financially I wasn't going to be able to do it all. Mm-hmm. So I moved back in with my parents. But then, I, like I said, I was just hanging out with this friend of the family. Mm-hmm. Um, he had just gone through a, a terrible um, situation where his wife ran off with his best friend and divorced him, and he was devastated. And so we were just hanging out as friends. Is this Joe? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I love it. Go ahead. So... Um, Joe, um, probably on our fourth or fifth time hanging out, he said, why don't I just marry you? And then I'll take care of you and the baby. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, you're nuts. Yeah. You know, it's like, why would you do that? We, we, we're just friends. And he said, well, I think we should be more than friends. And, and so, believe it or not, 12 weeks later, we got married. Wow. <laughs> it was... Um, and after we got married, I became a moralist. I stopped drinking. I stopped swearing. I was, Joe was a Christian man. Um, he was struggling with his walk because of what his wife had done. Uh-huh. Um, because she had used a perverted sense of the gospel to, um, to justify her behavior. Okay. She said, I can have an affair. I can run away. I can, I can do whatever I want because Jesus already died for it. Oh, yeah. And, and. He was so devastated that it kind of shook him. Um, so right away he took me to church with him, and the church looked at me being pregnant and him being recently divorced and jumped to conclusions and basically threw us out. Oh, because they thought this was his kid? Yes. Oh, yikes. No and, time to explain? And, uh, well, he didn't want to throw me under the bus. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He, but, wanted, he protected but me. But as Christians, why do we have to explain? We should, you know, they, they're, 
There's a saying that Christians do cannibalize their brothers and sisters sometimes. So yeah. sorry about that. Sheep bite. <laughs> yes, sheep bites. Ew. But, I never heard that one. That's good. But um, it took us a long time to get back into church. In fact, um, my stepdaughter invited me to go to church um, in 1995. Um, her so this is Joe's daughter yes. is now inviting you to go to church. Right. You guys, he's a Christian. Now, did you accept the Lord then? Um, I mean, no, during that first... No, in, in fact, um, he never even shared the Lord with me. We kind of talked about things. Uh, you know, to tell you what my Christian upbringing was, I asked him who came first, Jesus or, or Moses, because I'd seen the movies, but I didn't know which order they went. Oh. Yeah, okay. Uh, you know, That's I had, funny. I had no clue. No clue. Fact, okay, so now here here he's walked, he's put Jesus on hold and you're yeah, still reading his Bible and he but he's not going to church, he's not fellowshipping, he's kind of treading water. Mm-hmm. And then you're you're not a Christian still. Still not a Christian. But his daughter is inviting you to church. Well, it actually was kind of funny um, because a boy from her workplace invited her to go to church with him, and she wanted him to know that in no way, shape, or form was a date. Yeah. And so she said, can you please go with me and sit between us? Isn't God funny? (laughs) And um, that was uh, Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills. I remember the day really clearly. After I heard the message, I went home and I said to Joe, I said, I'm not sure who this God is, but I think we need him. And the first thing Joe did was ask me to forgive him um, for having put that aside. So how long have you been married by this time? Almost 10 years. 10 years. Okay. So he leads you to Christ at that point? No, actually, he took me to harvest that weekend. Um, which is a long story in itself. But he did take me to harvest. I heard the message. I went down now, and accepted the Lord. Are you talking about the harvest crusade yes. in Anaheim? Yes. Okay, so he takes you there. Great. Great place to go. Well, I you know, I heard that there was a harvest, and, I, and I'm thinking, oh, it's it's like a festival or a fair. And so I just had to go. Right. And, um, and then I heard the message, and it changed my life. So your child is 10 years old by then. Yes. And and do you bring him along? Um, he actually got sick right as the music started at Harvest. And so that's where the long story comes in. I'll give you the short version. Joe actually says, I'll take him to the doctor. You stay here. I'll be back and pick you up. And obviously it was God because I said, okay. Yeah. I mean, here I'm a nurse and he's taking my my son to the doctor. And I'm just sitting there going, okay. I'm okay. You needed to hear the message. So you go forward? I go forward. Um, my middle son, the, the Joseph, my firstborn, went forward. And our youngest daughter stayed in the stands crying. Um, and, you know, it's, it's funny how God gives you insight right away. I said, why are you crying? And she said, because Jesus won't know if we, where we go. If Jesus comes back tonight, Stephen won't know. And he... He needs to know before I accept Jesus. Oh, cute. <laughs> and she was, she was almost eight. I said, honey, I've only known Jesus for like 10 minutes, but I'm pretty sure he looks at your heart, not at whether you walk down those stairs. 
Aww. And I said, so we need to go home and tell Jesus, our, or tell Stephen ourselves about Jesus. Okay. And Aww. so we brought Stephen back the next day, and he went down the stairs. And Oh, you went back to the crusade as a family again? As a family again. Okay, super. And then the third night, we took the neighbors. <laughs> now you've become evangelists here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, oh, great story. So you are now, the whole family's accepted the Lord. Yes. Your three children... Um, I, I take it that Joe's recommitted himself to the Lord. Absolutely. And then now you're a brand new Christian. Yeah. And so where do you fellowship at church? Um, where do you go to church? Well, we were going to uh, Chino Hills, and we continued going to Chino Hills. Because okay. that's where I had heard the message the first time. The first time. Um, and immediately I attended the New Believers classes, started taking evangelism classes, um, Signed up to to help in children's ministry. So what year is this? A ninety, ninety five. Ninety five. Wow. Ninety six. Ninety five or ninety six. Okay. So um, you're you're at Chino Hills Calvary Chapel, and you are taking all the classes, getting growing in the Lord, and your children are in Sunday school, and probably Joe is getting active in something. Uh, Joe went back to doing worship. That's what he was doing um, before you met him. Before I met him. Um, He was also doing evangelism. Okay. So So he's back into full swing ministry. Right. Okay. So when do you feel called? I mean, you've got three kids at home, but when do you feel called to do something for the Lord? Well, actually we ended up with five children. Um, Okay. And, uh, so you know we're we're doing stuff for church. You know we're we're taking care of you know doing the call ministry, which is door to door evangelism. And um, I started helping out at the bookstore in between services and okay. um, making coffee. Yes. Um, so if you can imagine making coffee for three thousand people in the morning, <laughs> Joe and I would get to the church at like six o'clock in the morning and put the coffee pots on. Now let me hang, hang on a minute. Um, now, this is in 1996, 97? Yeah, we actually continued doing that until um, probably about 2000, 2006. So for 10 years, I'm just doing random things around the church. But I'm homeschooling my kids. Joe's going to school. You've got five kids now. Yeah, Joe's going to school full-time. He's also working full-time. Um, he's getting his master's in apologetics. Um, so we're just... We're just living the American life as you know, a Christian couple raising children. Okay, so you're still you're still um, doing the call ministry, which is door to door evangelism, which is still going on, by the way. And you're um, making coffee mm-hmm. between services. Love that coffee over there. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, they, I think they stopped the coffee um, because of COVID. I'm not sure. I, we don't even go for coffee. We just go home now but yeah and and i was doing any kind of short-term missions trips that that came up um joe was going to russia china germany Uh, you know anytime we heard that there was a missions trip we would sign up and he'd sign up and go yeah yeah either one or one or both of us or one of us would always sign up so we would alternate because with five kids you can't right run off and leave them so so when I met you both, 
you both were, I think, in full-time ministry. We transitioned into full-time ministry in 2006. Okay, yeah. I met you, I think, in 2004. Yeah. Um, maybe maybe Joe first and then you after. But, um, okay, so tell us about this full-time ministry and how you transitioned out of, you know, the making coffee stage and knock, knocking on door, you know, on doors. Well, you know... Um, Joe and I always um, wanted to have fun with the kids. We wanted to make sure that our family time was, was centered around Christ. And so every year we went to Spirit West Coast, which is like a three-day music festival of Christian bands. Um, you camp out on site, and there's multiple stages, and you just you just go and get your fill of whatever your taste was. So they would have everything from what the kids enjoyed to what Joe and I enjoyed. And... Um, because of the price of taking a family of seven anywhere, we would always volunteer to work mm-hmm. the the event, um, me and first aid and Joe and security, so that we could reduce oh, our costs. Look how smart you are, <laughs> so the we, nurse and you, volunteering for first aid. Yeah. So um, on the, the second day of the conference, I'm working first aid, and somehow our conversation turned around to how are you serving the Lord um, in your church, and I had was saying, you know, well, I make coffee for 3,000 people every Sunday morning. And, and I heard somebody behind me say to me, but where are you serving the kingdom? Uh, okay, so somebody's asked you this question. You don't you don't hear the Lord asking you. You're, somebody's I, asked you. No, I, I hear somebody speaking to me. And so I turn around and look, and there's nobody standing there. Interesting. And yeah. So I'm like, okay, I, I'm just hearing things. And I, you know, kind of shake my head and turn around and go to continue the conversation and I hear a second question where are you serving my kingdom well yeah that and that as, would be God right away <laughs> and as soon as I hear that I'm like I you know I, I'm not a new believer I've been a believer for 10 years but I have always believed that God acted in natural ways that he he manipulated our lives in the direction that we needed to go, that there wasn't any supernatural manifestation that was going to, you know, um, this was the first time I had ever heard him audibly, heard him audibly. And, and believe it or not, the last time I've heard him audibly, Um, but I knew right away what he meant. You know, I was serving the church and that even a non-believer can serve the church. Right. So he's asking you to step out and and serve him in the kingdom, yeah. for the kingdom. To build the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what ministry do you feel called then? Absolutely nothing. I just went running up to Joe, and I said, I don't know where we're going. I don't know what we're going to be doing, but we're going to be doing something. Wow. I said, now we just wait and see. Okay. So how long do you wait? Two days. <laughs> the Lord acts fast, okay? He does. He he has never told us to move any sooner than we're supposed to move. Right. Um so two days later Joe receives a phone call from his professor at Biola and said, The Lord has laid you heavily on my heart um all summer long. And I want to ask you, have you ever considered quitting your job and going into full-time ministry? Hmm. 
quitting your job. I mean, that takes a lot of faith because we, when when Mark and I had been called into the ministry for different things, teaching Bible studies and things like that, we really didn't, we weren't asked to quit our jobs. Yeah. No, this was, so we this had was that. two feet or no feet. It was all or nothing. And so he looked at me and he said, what do you think? And I said, well, I think we already know the answer because God told us two days ago. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we said, well, let's pray about it and let's meet with them, find out what the, this was about. And um, they told us, you know, that when we, we ask one person in the marriage to come through, that they're a couple, they both have to become involved. It's not just. Right. Now, this is like 97. No, this is 2006. Oh, this is 2006. Okay. So um, we made the commitment that we were going to do that. We put our house up for sale. Wow. Um, we told our kids that, you know, life is changing. We had three in college, um, wow. one in elementary school and one that was already um, uh, married. So um, we felt that was a good time, you know, mm-hmm. that we had three standing on their own pretty much. Well, or at least we thought. But <laughs> so we put our house up for sale and, you know, started making preparations, getting financially ready to, to step out into ministry. And Joe called me like a week later and said, the Lord told me to quit my job today. And I said, but we haven't sold the house yet. We need to be financially ready to sell the house. And, you know, we have to sell the house so that we can do this. You have to have money for her, some yeah. kind of money before you, know, I, you quit I'm your like, job. I'm like, we have a mortgage, two car payments, uh, insurance, kids in, everything else. Kids in school. I mean, you know, we were living the California nightmare um, at that point. Um, <laughs> and uh, he's telling me he's going to quit his job. And I'm like, Whoo. so um, he said, well, pray about it because it's very clear to me that that's what the Lord told me to do. And, and I, being an obedient wife, said, Lord, if you want him to quit his job, you better tell me, and it better be clear. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I did not expect the God to tell me that. I did not want him to tell me that. I already had my plan. I was going to get things ready first. Um, that night when we went to church, uh, Gail Irwin was speaking, and he took us to the um, book of Luke. Um, I think it's Luke nine fifty seven. I'm, I'm not exactly sure of the address, but um, it's where Jesus calls three men to follow him, and they all make an excuse. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know that one. Yeah. Yeah. So he gets to the story of the man who says, let me bury my father. Mm-hmm. Gail Irwin says, he's not saying my father's dad, let me go to his funeral. What he's saying is when my father dies, let me get my finances in order. Let me get my inheritance so that following you doesn't cost me anything. Exactly. And he goes, if God has called you to follow him, he didn't say, when you're ready. He said, follow me. And so I just wrote the note and passed it over to Joe that said, quit your job. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's how we ended up in full-time ministry with I Squared. Isn't it interesting how God gives us go-ahead? I mean, we for us, I mean, when when we were asked to go to Pakistan... We put out fleece after fleece. One wasn't enough. When he asked us to move from Anaheim, where we were comfortable, to move to Corona, we thought, Corona? What's in Corona? Uh, Mark grew up in Anaheim. 
we put out 12 fleeces. Not one, but we had 12 fleeces. We just kept going. But, okay, you heard after one time, that's it. He answered your prayer right away, same day. Same day. And so the next day, Joe went in and quit his job um, because he was in middle management um, with a Fortune 500 company. He had to give 90 days notice. Oh, okay. Um, And at the end of 90 days, we still hadn't sold the house. Okay. And No job. No job. Have you ever tried renting an apartment when you're unemployed? No, <laughs> no, never had to do that, thank God. Um, so we, we've had some interesting experiences um, with trying to figure out how to do things unemployed. Um, but the Lord sold the house on the very last day of the very last check um, before we had to take out a second on our house to pay for the first. Yikes. Just in time. Yeah, like God. literally at twelve noon. If if it hadn't closed escrow, we were going to have to take out a loan to pay the, the mortgage wow. payment. I've often said that the Lord's never late, but He's so often last minute. Oh yeah, because like the he the eleventh hour. Yeah, He's testing our our faith yeah. and trust. Right. But after you've gone through years of Him testing your trust that way. Uh-huh. You just don't even worry about it anymore. You just know he's going to come through. Right. It gives you a faith that you can't even explain to people. Yeah. Yeah. Because they go, why aren't you panicking? And I'm like, why? Look, God's got this. It's not. It's above my pay grade, as people would say. <laughs> I prayed about it. God already told me to do this. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's so great. So where do you get sent to ministry? How? What What doors open for you? The, the church, I mean, the school has asked him to go into full ministry is there something they've selected for you well actually um his professor had his own ministry on the side as well as being a professor in which he traveled the world training missionaries um who are planning on going into the muslim world how to evangelize muslims okay um so it's it's um a training a ministry rather than a going ministry um so um, most of the people who we were training with were either already in Muslim countries and had come back for training or were planning on going into them. Okay. So we did training in Brazil. Um, there's a missionary school down in Brazil that sends missionaries into the Muslim world. Um, now, you, you guys fly down to Brazil yeah. with, with your three little ones. No, just one. The older ones were all um, in college. So we just took the littlest one with us. Okay. And um, we we were down there. Well, I was down there for uh, eight weeks. Joe stayed a little longer. Um, he got extended. I got to go home alone. That was an interesting thing, traveling with a, a young child across the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But But that must have been so wonderful to now jump in with both feet in some sort of training for what the Lord had for you. Tell me where the Lord places both of you. Well, for the most part, um, our home camp was in Berea, California. So we would come home and we would be doing, well, for me, I would be doing paperwork um, for the ministry, a book, minor bookkeeping, ordering supplies. I'm not exactly sure anymore what I did. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, Joe was writing 
um, teaching stuff, doing editing for um, videos, radio, podcasts. He did a lot of the, the editing because of his computer mind. Um, after about two years, he felt like he needed to do more. Mm-hmm. That that's not what the Lord had called him out of the, the workforce to do. Um, I had the same feeling, and so we prayed about it, and the Lord spoke to us both at the same time that we needed to do our own work. So is this when Radical Truth was born? Yes. Your ministry, Radical Truth. Okay. Yeah. So you go ahead. Oh, I was going to say we called it uh, multiplication by division. I love that. We took one ministry and made two similar ministries with different vision. Um, so you guys were really busy with this one ministry in Brea, and you, you, the Lord multiplied it like he split um, Paul and Barnabas and made two ministries out of one ministry. Yeah. So multiplication by division, I'll have to remember that. That's really good. So you, you're starting your ministry, which is still today a ministry yes. called Radical Truth. So tell me about Radical Truth and what, what you do. So Radical Truth's vision was to train the average Christian sitting in the average pew, average church here in the United States, how to reach out to the Muslims that they come into contact with every day in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, we always said that for so long the Christian church failed to go into the Muslim world that God, being the God of second chances, brought them here to us. Mm-hmm. not so that they can be saved, so that we can have the opportunity to help. You know, God always wants us to be part of it, kind of like the dad pushing the lawnmower with the little kid. You know, the kid thinks he's mowing the lawn, but really it's the dad doing the work. God does the work through us. Yeah, you know, when you think about, the, the thing that I think about when you're saying that is Jesus' first miracle where he um, he turns the water into wine, he could have just turned, you know, he, he could have just, whatever was in the pot, turned that into wine and filled it full with wine. But he said to the them, go and fill these pots to the top. He did not need them to do that. No. But he wanted them to share in the filling of the pots so they could see the miracle and be used by him. And And he does that with a lot of things like throw your net on the other side. He knew that he could have put those fish right where they were fishing, but then it would be, you know, their deal. But he, throw your nets on the other side, and then their nets are overflowing with fish. So he used that same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, we wanted to be able to reach out to the Muslims that were coming in um, here to the country. And the only way to do that is to to reduce the barriers to fear. Mm-hmm. You know, when I first became a new believer, there was nothing worse to me than... than um, knocking on doors? No, than someone knocking on my door. Oh. <laughs> yes, we know who they are. So, you know, we all know it. Don't answer the door, kids. Don't answer the door. Why don't we answer the door? Because we don't know what to say. Yeah. And we don't know what they believe. We don't. We don't know who they are. We just know that they don't have the truth. And I think a lot of Christians view the same thing when they talk about evangelizing someone who doesn't look like them, sound like them, or believe like them. Mm-hmm. 
you know, we all have no problem sharing the gospel with someone who comes from the same background that we do. Mm-hmm. You know, we can, I can go into a bar and talk to girls about uh, purity and things like that. But when you're talking about somebody who already thinks they're righteous before God, you know, where do you start that conversation? And so that's, that's where our goal was, was to reduce those barriers of lack of knowledge mm-hmm. and say, you know, this is the starting point. This is where you start having a conversation with a Muslim. This is even how you break the ice and yeah. have a conversation with them. And so that's where Radical Truth started. And when you look at our name, Radical, you know, we all think of a, a radical like a terrorist. But the word radical just means to to cause change. And so... For us, there's nothing more radical than the truth. Yeah, that's true. I love that. And so that's where the name came from, the truth that causes change. And so... um, So now what I remember when you um, both were involved in this ministry, one of the things that you did was bought this um, mobile mobile home, it looked like, but it was maybe just a... It was a fifth wheel. Okay. It was big. Yeah. And you took it all over the country. Yes. In, in six years, we, we taught in 46 states. Wow. For some reason, I don't think there's many Muslims in North and South Dakota. And uh, you can't take a motorhome to Alaska or to, um, to Hawaii. So No, no. You could fly there, though. But, yeah. Okay. So you're, you're speaking at churches, if I recall, speaking to people one-on-one uh, about sharing um, sharing our faith with, with Muslims. Yes. You know, we, we taught conferences, week-long events, um, taught at churches Sundays and Wednesdays. We would attend pastors' conferences and teach pastors about the need to mm-hmm. equip their people to be able to reach out to people that looked, sounded, or believed differently than them. Yeah. I remember when the Lord, um, we were getting ready to go to Pakistan, and Mark said to me, we've got to figure out what religion they are there. And we have to witness when we go. And we realized they were, you know, um, they were Muslims. And so we studied Islam before we, you know, were going. And I kept saying to the Lord, Lord, you know how much we love the Jews? Can we just minister to the Jews? Or you know how much we love um, our friends that go to church all the time, you know, or maybe just on Christmas and Easter? And can't we just minister to them? And the Muslims seemed so scary to me. And and the Lord just kept saying, no, we're, this is where you're going. And I remember um, this was before 9-11, and people would say to us, um, why the Muslims? Why are you guys picking them? I, I didn't pick them. You know, it wouldn't have been my choice. But so tell me your experience. Well, actually, when Joe was getting his master's in apologetics, he was planning on retiring, and becoming a missionary to, to the Mormons. I heard that story. Okay. And so... Be- because he actually, um, in the evenings at night, he would sit on his computer and, and do online debates with Mormons from the time he accepted the, or rededicated to the Lord. Um, but God had a different plan for him. Yeah. And so while he's getting his master's degree, because he's working full-time, he has to take whatever elective courses are available when he's free. Right. And uh, amazingly enough, they're all apologetics to Islam, uh, advanced apologetics to Islam. Uh, everywhere he turned, God was um, having him learn about Muslims. Um, and he ended up taking independent study and writing his thesis on the jihad. 
Okay, so now that you're doing money, ministry together, do you do you teach as well? Um, I teach at like women's groups, mm-hmm. um, women's Bible studies, women's conferences, um, pastors' wives. Yeah, for the most part, though, I'm doing all of the administrative stuff, the scheduling, plane tickets, right. campsites, right. hotel rooms. Somebody's got to do that. Someone's got to do that. So so that was my job um, for the most part. So here you are with this ministry that the Lord has given you both as a family, and you're driving or flying all over the country doing this work. And you finally, I don't know how many years ago, but I went to your going away party when you guys packed up and moved to Texas. That was in 2013. Okay. So you're you're living in Texas and you're still doing the ministry from now Texas, which kind of makes sense because you're in the more in the middle, right? So you can go right. That was that was part of our decision making, right? um, Because we we left here on one trip. Um, It took us two weeks to get to our first speaking engagement in Maine. Yeah. Wow. And then um, as we went around the the entire East Coast. Um, we had no speaking engagements all the way from Tennessee back to California. It's a long drive. And we're like, you know, if we were just a little bit closer, this wouldn't seem so hard. Yeah. Um, and it was poor scheduling on our part that we left those big gaps at the beginning and at the end. But um, it motivated us to look to see where was more central. And so, of course, you know, you pull out a map and you pull out your little ruler and figure out, and pretty much um, Texas and Oklahoma were the center, um, and I don't like tornadoes, so we picked Texas. <laughs> okay. So um, I, I I just want to point out that you've been in this ministry now for quite a number of years, and um, you find yourself in Texas, and take us, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to give you a hard subject to talk about. But Joe is no longer here doing the ministry, and you're doing the ministry alone. Tell me how that happened. Well, so we're getting ready to take our trip. Um, We planned on leaving on September 26th. Um, We normally would leave early in August. So what year is this? 2018. Okay. And... Um, but our pastor had to have surgery at the church that we attended when we were home, and he asked Joe to fill his pulpit for a couple of weeks. So we delayed our trip until September 26th. Um, but on September or August 13th, you know, we had dinner. We were talking. We decided to get ready for bed, and he's getting ready for bed, and I'm getting ready for bed. And he said, that's weird. My chest hurts. And I, I turn around, and I look at him, and I start to walk across the room, and he, he he hit the ground. He was home. Wow. Um, you know, I, I'm a nurse. And as a nurse, you must be I went, petrified. I went right into nurse mode, you know, started CPR, all of the things that you're supposed to do. Um, now, looking back at that, I know that if I had brought Joe back, he would have been <laughs> He would have been so angry with me. It's like, I, you know, I was standing before the Lord, and then you brought me back. Um, but you're trying, and nothing's working. But I knew. I knew the minute he hit the ground um, that nothing was working. And we live out in the country, so it was probably close to 30 minutes before the paramedics arrived. And even they worked another half hour before they took him to the hospital. So, But I knew. Um, I love living in the country, though. 
uh, when the neighbors heard the sirens, they all came over and started praying. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're not going to get that. Right, right. In the city. In the city. Um, so um, he dies of a heart attack? Yeah. And he had no signs before that there was any kind of problem? No, no high blood pressure, no high cholesterol, nothing. They, there was never any history. Um, in fact, he had just um, had a clean bill of health in April, so four months before. Well, I can I can relate to you in a, in a little way, but my son was there and I wasn't. My my husband had collapsed to the floor, and this is my previous husband he collapsed to the floor, and he my son found him and gave him CPR, brought him back, only for him to die again, and my son gave him CPR and brought him back and he died again and um, this went on seven times um, the, the paramedics came and they did exactly the same thing brought him back for I don't know seconds or minutes I but by the time I got there he was completely gone um, there there was there's a point that you absolutely have to stop and and know that God is taking him and when I talked to John um, my son, it was so, um, he, he was so heartbroken because he thought, you know, he's a big guy. He could give CPR and he couldn't, he brought him back just seconds enough for him to go again. Uh, obviously, it was time for Walt to go and nothing was going to bring him back. And this is, it was time for Joe to go. I am still sad about it. I, I, I thought it happened just recently, but it's been two years. Yeah. So, how are you surviving, and how is the ministry surviving? Well, um, my first thought was that I couldn't do this anymore, mm-hmm. um, that I was just going to um, dissolve the ministry. That was my very first thought, that I just I just couldn't do this without him. Um, thank God that only lasted about two weeks. Okay. Before I remembered what we heard at a missions conference many years ago, that, that when God calls you to do something, that he gives you the strength and the ability to do it, even in the tough times. Mm-hmm. That if you're sure of your calling, mm-hmm. that you just keep going forward until you're told not to. Right. And so I reached out to a couple of men that had worked with Joe in the ministry before, um, that had worked alongside him. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily directly involved with Radical Truth, but they've worked events together they had they had taught together and i reached out to them and i said would you play pray about um finding the right person to step up you know we had actively at one time even advertised for a timothy um, yeah. in our newsletter it's like please let let there be a timothy and one gentleman had stepped forward at that time and said well talk to me about what you're you're thinking and they had worked together from that moment on. And so I approached him and I said, would you consider taking the gauntlet, being the public face of Radical Truth, that I will continue to do everything that I've done before? Making appointments and scheduling um, airline fares or yep. or getting the person there. Yep, doing the bookkeeping, talking to, you know, following up with the secretaries of state and keeping the 501c3 current and doing the taxes, all those 
things that nobody ever wants to talk about, but right. every ministry has to do. Yes. Um, as well as still doing the women's conferences and still teaching and writing as much as possible. But Okay, so you have two men that have now taken picked up the gauntlet. Well, one is full-time, um, and that's Tony Grulet. He used to be with um, Rashio Christie before he joined okay. us. Yeah. And um, Mike Westerfield, he's been doing some work with us, but he's not a full-time minister yet. Um, he is a former Muslim who Joe was instrumental in leading to the Lord. And so Beautiful. he feels an obligation to kind of help um, as okay. much as possible with coming from a different viewpoint. Okay. So the ministry goes on. We've only got a little time here. Is there a chance you could give us a number that our our listeners might be able to uh, donate to the ministry? Because I'm sure there's cost involved. Yeah, the easiest way actually is to go to our website, and it's radicaltruth.net. Very easy. Yeah, and there's a there's a there's a uh, donate button there. There's a donate button on our homepage. Um, they can also contact me directly at info at radicaltruth.net for an email. Okay, very good. So these two people are still being sent out to different churches and and conventions that churches might have or. Whatever. Yeah, and and because of COVID, we actually now have our own television show on um, NRB TV. And this is in Texas. Um, no, actually, it's broadcast from a studio here in California, an undisclosed location. <laughs> okay. Um, but it it's um, on Direct TV, so it's on Direct TV. Yes. Okay, so you you have that coming up every day, or um, that's every Saturday night. At, California time, I think it's a le- uh, 9 p.m. So you have to have DirecTV to... Well, you can also go to NRB TV online, and you can watch it, or you can actually even go to our webpage, and every podcast is or every episode is published immediately afterwards. Okay, that is so cool. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> I, Thank you for having I, me. Gosh, and I feel so bad you flew all the way here from Texas. I'm so happy to see you. My name is Rody Fisher. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, Christine, again for joining us. God bless you. Thank you for being here today for On the Road with Jesus with your host, Rody Fisher. Every week, you'll hear experiences and testimonies from her and her friends as they share their journey with Jesus. You'll see that you're not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. If you have a question about today's show, email Rody Fisher at rawfisher at ontheroadwithjesus.com. Spelled R-A-H-F-I-S-H-E-R at ontheroadwithjesus.com. Or leave a voicemail at 951-817-0094. That's 951-817-0094. On the Road with Jesus is sponsored by Global Expressions Language Project. Learn more at asquaredlamps.org. That's the letter A, squaredlamps.org. Be sure to join us each week at this same time for more On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rody Fisher. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.